This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. With the legalization of marijuana about to take effect, one of the thorniest issues has been how to deal with the problem of stoned drivers. Canada's Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould has approved the Drager Drug Test 5000 as the first saliva screening equipment to be used by police to test for the main psychoactive agent in cannabis, and that, of course, is THC. The equipment will be made available to police forces across the country within four to six weeks, although it will be up to police to decide what testing equipment they want to use. Legislation that passed in Parliament in June allows for the use of roadside saliva tests to detect to detect, excuse me, the presence of drugs like cocaine, methamphetamine, and marijuana. So, does this make you feel comfortable with the whole thing? Do you think this solves it? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now, we are going to defense lawyer Nicholas Sharitsis and president of the Ontario Safety League for Dri- Driving, Brian Patterson. Hello there. Hello. Well, hi there, Libby. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Let's start with Brian. Uh, is this a good move? Does this take care of any reservations you may have had? I, I, I think for... Um, uh, I'm not Bill Nye, the science guy, so I'm not, uh, I'm not 100% sure I, even I understand all of what's in the new testing package, other than, uh, uh, than, than uh, it, it meets a new sense of criteria. I think the... Uh, the shortfall is not uh, uh, how do I how do I limbo under the impaired line. More that uh, how do we educate the public to make sure that the, that they're comfortable that they're never going to inadvertently cross that line. Nick, uh, are you trying to figure out ways how you could uh, fight a, conv- a conviction based on this test? Well, I, I think there'll be uh, uh, a number of uh, questions that uh, criminal defense lawyers across the country will have with regards to the implementation as it relates to enforcement and screening and testing. Uh, The two new areas of law that are created are two new charges in the criminal code as they relate to how many nanograms of THC per 100 milliliters of blood being over the line uh, is uh, an area that um, will have much litigation um, coming in the near future, I'm sure. My first reaction to all of this is that I would advise my clients, especially uh, friends and family, that zero tolerance is, is the solution here. You don't want to be one of the first people charged under the new legislation being impaired by uh, marijuana having a conviction and then having to fight it and uh, possibly appeal it. What about the issue of whether it stays in the system, that maybe uh, if you had a joint two days ago, it's still going to show up? Do we know if that's the case with this test? 
there's there's a number of pieces that are being continually tested uh uh Libby so you know at in in some people I I guess if you're 275 and you have a lot of blood or a lot of fat cells it can have a different impact on how long it flushes out of your system. You mean uh, 275 pounds? 275 pounds, as uh, opposed to the 109-pound uh, um, uh, person. So there's there's a whole bunch of variations in how long it clears your system, so that it become the, the, there's sort of individual issues. I think uh, um, um, you know your, your your listeners will know there's people who take cold medication that they're not supposed to take if they're going to drive, but they take it and drive anyway because they think it's not affecting them. And as Nick will tell you, some of them are shocked to find they're charged because their uh, their, their cognitive skills are so badly impaired by the the medication that they're taking, prescription or otherwise, that, uh, that they, they've come in uh, foul of the police. So I think uh, today, if your practice is to, uh, to smoke uh, between 7 and 9 every night and you think it's not a problem, it might inadvertently become a problem uh, when you're uh, tested, and right now we're not uh, we're, we're not uh, testing um, uh, voluntarily testing anymore uh, these systems. So I think people are um, are going into an area where their their education side, and you know, uh, you and I'll remember the days when they said, you know, what is it, one one unit of alcohol per hour will flush your system, and then the same issue comes up, one unit for somebody who's 110 pounds is a lot different than one unit for somebody who's 275 pounds. So uh, uh, I think it's a gray area. It's a sort of, you know, the, the, the cannabis confusion is going to continue for a while. And, and uh, I'm hoping that uh, between the government and the stakeholders that we get good, clear education out to the public and we're not listening to people with just these crazy analogies that they drive better when they're stoned because they're more cautious or they drive slower or, you know, I always have to stop at a drive-in. You know, I'd like to think that was funny, but it's not. People are are confused. I think young people are going to be confused. So we've had a good, fairly unified alcohol message for certainly the last 15 years, and I think we've got to, uh, we should have started with that level of education and not been weeks away from implementation without a good public education system already in place. You know, just a few weeks ago, I was reading about a case where uh, a woman tested positive for drugs after having uh, poppy seeds on her bagel, and I don't think it was apocryphal. No, and I don't think this is in relation to this process. That's a fairly sensitive blood test that can be that can have that issue. So I don't think uh, I don't think your everything bagel in the morning is going to throw off your driving test. Uh, it may be it it it, it is an, it is an effect in a very delicate blood test that's undertaken. So it, it's not an apocryphal story. It really happens, and it happens on a regular basis. I think for some people, but when you uh, when you do the follow up testing, etc., there's nothing there. And so. uh, Nick, um, you know, again, there are a lot of people who think it's no big deal to drive stoned, and some of them are people who would never drive with too much alcohol. Yeah, I'm not uh, too sure about the um, people that suggest having uh, consumed marijuana and uh, having being able to drive better. I mean, I think Brian uh, starts off with the same premise I would start off with, is that there's got to be a connection between uh, consuming marijuana and your ability to operate a motor vehicle. Uh, And I think the government realizes that, and that's why they've taken action 
in implementing a new testing device for marijuana, starting off with the premise that uh, consumption of marijuana will have an impact on your ability to operate a motor vehicle is the right place to start. What I'm concerned with is the uniformity of the enforcement. What I read in the press release from the federal attorney general is uh, that the law enforcement agencies have a choice as to whether or not to use the Dragger uh, 5000 uh, screening device. And, and that's, that's troubling because uniformity is key when we're looking at enforcement. If one person in eastern Ontario is pulled over by the police and is subject to this test and is thereby um, arrested and taken to the police station for further tests, it needs to be done the same way as in other parts of the province, northern Ontario or Toronto, for example. If uh, the Toronto Police Department decides not to implement, implement this screening device, I think there's issues with uniformity and there's going to be a lot of court challenges as a result of that. Uh, so, but but the federal government mandated that that people have the choice. So, you think that'll be the subject of court challenges? I think so. I think it'll be a subject of major challenges. They've rushed this, so Mister Too Cool for School, the Prime Minister would get his uh, legislation in before the next election, and they've left off all of those critical implementation pieces. And I think it's it's a practical expectation that defense lawyers and their ilk will take these cases, uh, take them seriously as they should, and, and, and ask that question. How, how can we have a different method of testing or a different likelihood of conviction uh, on similar circumstance evidence? It's going to be very complicated. Nick? And to add to that, the, the training of law enforcement is uh, something that I believe is lacking at this point in time. There's, I, be, I believe uh, Brian hit the nail on the head that uh, too much is happening too quickly as it relates to implementing these new laws. And remember, these are criminal offenses. These are offenses for which people, for example, who are uh, here as permanent residents and are applying for citizenship, as you might be aware, Libby, there's been changes to the sentencing guidelines as it relates to these offenses, and it would put people in extreme danger of being removed from Canada, uh, people who don't have status. And the fact that uh, the government's acting so quickly to implement these new criminal laws without having thought it through, I think, uh, is putting a lot of people at risk uh, of uh, getting criminal convictions. And I, I for one, think that the courts uh, will be clogged with appeals until we get some clarity from the Court of Appeal and ultimately the Supreme Court of Canada on how these laws are going to be enforced and upheld. Okay, Brian and Nicholas, please hang on. We have to take a break. I'm going to give the numbers out again. Uh, People, do you feel better now that the government has authorized this saliva test for stone driving, or do you think it's just going to create, as our guests are saying, a clog up in the courts and a lot of confusion and uneven enforcement? The numbers to call. 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740, and we will be right back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. 
Welcome back. We are talking about the fact that the federal government has authorized a saliva test, a roadside saliva test to test whether drivers are stoned. They have, however, left it up to individual police forces to decide whether or not they want to use it. That apparently is opening the door to uneven enforcement, court challenges. So I'd like to backtrack a little. And um, Nicholas, what do you think the situation is now in terms of how many stone drivers are there out there? I know sometimes uh, police forces just test, you know, the eye test. Can you walk in a straight line? So I've been practicing in the area of criminal defense for almost 15 years. I've been practicing almost exclusively in the area of impaired driving law. And my experience is that the number of charges relating to impaired by drugs has been significantly lower than people might think. Uh, In over 4,000 cases that I've done for impaired driving, over 90% of them are in relation to alcohol. A very small percentage of cases that I've been involved in have been cases where people have been charged with impaired by drugs. Now, the legalization of marijuana and the ability to use marijuana recreationally may change that. Okay, but but how has it gone with those ten uh, percent of cases that you had? Is it is it uh, easy to overturn a conviction or harder? What have you found? So it is a very technical and complicated area of law. Uh, it is mostly subjective up until this point in time. The evidence in court has been the subjective evidence of uh, police officers except for the cases where there are blood samples taken. And those cases have their own challenges and uh, are even less prevalent in the court system. Mostly we deal with cases where there are expert police officers who receive training and do field sobriety tests. And the courts take direction from these experts at trial. Now, uh, as far as challenging cases where people have been allegedly driving while high on other substances, uh, their conviction rate is, uh, I would say, pretty high, but there are legal challenges as they relate to constitutional rights being violated. And whenever there's uh, someone's rights that have been violated under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, judges look at those violations quite seriously and exclude evidence, obviously, for the violation that has been breached pursuant to the Charter. So we are going again, and I was talking to Brian offline earlier, into uncharted territory as it relates to impaired driving by drugs. The reason is that police now have the option of implementing a scientific method of determining the level of THC as it relates to marijuana in one's blood. So what the government has done is they've taken from their experience in the alcohol-impaired driving cases and tried to really put a square peg in a round hole. And I think it's going to cause a lot of problems because you can't do that. It's a completely different type of analysis. We have years and years of science, and we have years of jurisprudence in the courts that deal with alcohol Okay. Yeah. As it relates to, uh, sorry, I, I thought I lost you there, Olivia. I'm, I'm on my cell phone. Okay. My apologies. 
Okay. As um, long as you're not driving, Nick. No, I'm pulled over on the side of the 404. Oh, dear. Okay. I hope, I hope you're pulled over safely. Let's hear from Jerry in Burlington. Hi, Jerry. Hello. How are you doing? Fine. How are you? Yes, good. Isn't it just like our uh, hip prime minister to uh, fulfill one of the very few promises and then uh, leave it up to the provinces and the police to handle this sticky situation? But anyhow... I heard on the news this morning that to do this test will take up to 30 minutes. And that's a long time if you, because the breathalyzer takes, I think, three minutes or less than that. Now, 30 minutes, if the police has to spend 30 minutes on every person they suspect of, you know, smoking marijuana, then um, that, that's a waste of time. I think what we're uh, what we're really looking at is if they if they feel they have grounds to pull you over. So uh, uh, with video cameras in the cars and on the officers, we'll we'll see that evidence being uh, something of the backup evidence. And then when they uh, when they conduct their their interview, uh, they have additional reasons to believe uh, it's an issue. That uh, by, by that point you're uh, you're um, um, going down the 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 more timely. Uh, the timely route anyway the 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 one issue that they're uh, that they're still struggling with is if you've combined the two so if you've had two beers and two to- two uh, uh, two tokes you've uh, you've exacerbated the uh, the um, impairment of both the alcohol and the drugs so uh, you're going to be in 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 greater jeopardy uh, of uh, having to call Nick and uh, you're going to uh, uh, ex- uh, be uh, evident that you're uh, that you've got cognitive impairment abilities with regard to your driving. So there's a lot going on uh, uh, out there, and I think the officers that are out at night uh, that are pulling over impaired drivers, they'd rather spend uh, 30 minutes with somebody who may not be impaired uh, than uh, than than not pull somebody over that other drivers have seen driving erratically and placing. Uh, uh, people on the road are at risk, so it's a, it's certainly a balance for the officers. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to do is uh, to pull dangerous drivers off the road. Jerry, thank you. Let's go to Ben in Oakville. Yes, thank you. Uh, if I may, you know, when you go back to the beginning of time, but none of them are, I'm 84. During the course of my career, we used to stop the officer, would do some tests, then go to the station, and the officer in charge of the station would then do some physical chest test and then determine that the ability to operate a motor vehicle was impaired by alcohol. And they went to court and it was convicted. As time progressed, that we went from just that scenario to the breathalyzer test. And again, there were challenges and, and uh, you know, it progressed over the years. And uh, we had some men that excellent in their testimony, and you learn from experience. And just to show you, on the way from Oakville to Oakville, one night stopped three different drivers off duty in uniform that were intoxicated and charged with intoxicated and convicted. Some may have been pleading to a lesser count. All I'm saying is as time went on, with defense counsel arguing and the prosecution arguing the issues, the bottom line is, do the right thing for the right reasons. And okay. I'm afraid it will take time to get the message across what is right and what is wrong. The problem here is we're looking public safety as a responsibility. 
Okay, Ben, thanks for that. Let's hear from uh, Brian and Lindsay. Hello, Brian. Hi. Uh, you know, with all this uh, hype, I'm wondering, have we really had that much of a problem with people driving stoned on marijuana so far? And is there going to be some great epidemic after they legalize it? I don't see what all the fuss is about. The, the evidence everywhere that it's been legalized is the number of people driving do go up significantly. The number of cases of people injured in hospital in relation to collisions involving drugs go up uh, uh, significantly. And the number of people that have been able to uh, float under the wire at the at the moment uh, may be an impact on the number of people that are uh, taking what is both a criminal risk and a driving risk. The concern is that as people start to normalize the feeling around marijuana, that I can have it in my car, I can have it in my pocket, I can smoke it when I want, that uh, that there's going to be more instances where people have stepped behind the wheel not knowing their level of impairment, and it may have been exacerbated by either other prescription drugs they're taking or by alcohol. So it's not uh, uh, using terms like epidemic and change. It is a significant change, and nowhere has uh, has uh, uh, it reduced the number of uh, uh, impaired offenses and the number of interactions with medical personnel. So the, at the end of the day, it's going to go up. Okay, and Nick, what would you like to leave us with on this? Well, I don't want to get into the philosophical discussion as to whether or not marijuana should be legalized. I mean, the government has taken an approach that they believe that uh, this uh, drug should be legalized, and the prime minister has made it a campaign promise. The real issue for me is what type of education is there for people who have a smoke the night before and believe they are quite fine to drive the next morning? What risk are these, putting, these people putting themselves in as it relates to potential criminal charges? And there's been literally zero education for the public. And that's what concerns me, is that the public will unknowingly be committing this offense, thinking that it's completely legal and fine to have a smoke. And then the next day, as they're going to work, there could be a ride program set up where they're required to provide a sample of their saliva, suddenly being over the legal limit. And that's really daunting as it relates to people's futures. Okay, thank you to you both, Nicholas Sharitsis and Brian Patterson. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.